Welcome to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. On this show, we discuss topics relating to the exterior building envelope, such as waterproofing, glazing, cladding, roofing, and more. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. For previous episodes, show notes, and bonus video content, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com. Now, here's your host for the Everything Building Envelope podcast. I'd like to welcome our listeners to the Everything Building Envelope podcast today. My name is Derek Siegel, and I'm a building envelope consultant with GCI Consultants. Our podcasts bring you great information about our industry today, and I'm sure you'll get a lot out of this. Today's guest that we're fortunate to have is Gina Clausen Lozier of the law firm Berger Singerman. Welcome, Gina. Hi, Derek. Uh, thank you for having me here today. Gina, great. Can you tell us a little bit about and the listeners about yourself and how you how your journey came to put you where you are today with Berger Singerman? No, absolutely. I am an attorney who represents policyholders against insurance companies. I have been with Berger Singerman for almost five years now. I'm a partner there with the firm. Prior to being with Berger Singerman, I was a partner at a large statewide insurance defense firm. So I learned a lot about the industry from representing the insurance companies and all of the different coverage obligations and compliance issues, you know, the policyholders face every day. So now I'm able to use that information and my experience on this side to represent the policyholders against the insurance companies. So I've been practicing for almost 12 years, very involved in the industry with uh, the Windstorm Insurance Network and, and FAPIA and, and different other organizations. So use all that experience as well. And in my everyday work, and I'm excited to uh, be here and talk about how the industry has changed over the past 12 years since I've been practicing. Great. That's all fantastic information, especially the fact that you've kind of, you see the picture and, and the challenges from both sides. And, you know, with that said, it leads into a very good question, and I just, I did a little bit of research before our podcast today. I don't know if you knew this or if our listeners knew any of this, but 2017 was the costliest hurricane season ever, accounting for an estimated $320 billion in, dam billion dollars in damages, a total of 17 named storms, and the seven most active ever since record-keeping began in 1851. I mean, that's dramatic. Conversely, 2018, we had not necessarily the most storms, but we had four category four, between 2017 and 2018, excuse me, four category four storms to hit the continental US, uh, as well as Puerto Rico. And, you know, that's, I think, why, you know, this, this podcast today is so important is because, you know, property owners out there are facing some of the biggest challenges ever. And insurance companies certainly are not making lives easier. And it's important to know what you're doing and have an experienced team in place to help you through the process. So, you know, with that said, you know, what can listeners expect when they report a claim? What do they have to be ready for? What should they have document-wise? What are some of the challenges they're going to face out there? Yeah, you know, Derek, those points that you made are really interesting, especially because I don't think we even can realize the impact of the 2018 season yet, given that Michael was in, in the not-so-recent past. So I can expect those numbers to significantly increase. And, you know, one of the other things that you had mentioned is, you know, people, the policyholders, insureds are making comments about how difficult it is to get the insurance companies to pay. 
And I hear that every day, unfortunately. I hear it from the residential clients that I have who are just trying to restore their home so they can move on with their lives. And I hear it from the commercial developers who are dealing with multiple properties well into the $8 million you know, I'm sorry, the eight-figure claims that they're also not getting paid. So there's really, uh, you know, the car- the carriers are doing this across the board. It's not specific to any type of mm. claim, you know, residential versus commercial or, or high-end. It, it, it's kind of a general consensus that things have gotten more difficult to get the carriers to pay for various reasons, which I think, of course, we'll uh, talk about today. But to focus back around to your point about what you can expect when you report a claim, one of the first things that we're seeing now that may not have generally been a consensus in the past is that the insurance companies are hiring experts right out the gate. And there's a lot of reasons for that um, that have evolved over the years since the 2004-2005 hurricane season, a lot of which has to do with a different policy language that has been approved by OIR. But one of the first things we're seeing is that the insurance companies are asking to send out um, an an engineer. Uh, They're sending out building consultants who may not necessarily be licensed independent adjusters. They may not necessarily be licensed contractors. They're, They're consultants who are sent out there to assist the insurance company in scoping and pricing the loss. You know, in conjunction with an independent adjuster, we're seeing a team converge on these properties and these inspections taking right. days and, and potentially even weeks, which, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, is, is kind of working almost sometimes to delay the claim as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, here you've got a homeowner or a property owner that's, that's stressed out. They've just gone through a life-changing event, and they're being confronted with these teams descending on them. I mean... What I'm seeing out there as well is that some of these experts are coming from out of state, California, Texas, you know, Florida is a pretty interesting area because the code is very specific here and there are types of construction that are not the same as they are in a non-stream wind prone zone like Florida. I mean, some of these people don't really know what they're looking at and they don't know how to accurately evaluate this. Does this make it even more vital for, you know, homeowners and property owners to have someone like yourself and uh, someone on their side to handle this process and make sure that the property is all the damages accurately evaluated, not only for the claim, but for a property owner to make sure that they know exactly what happened to their property. No, I I mean, absolutely. It it used to be, as I mentioned in the past, the insurance company would investigate a loss and issue a coverage decision and and pay undisputed, or then you would just fight over the, the difference in the amount or the coverage. It's not happening like that anymore. So absolutely, it's vital, especially in certain circumstances, to have a team of experts to counteract what the insurance company's team mm-hmm. of experts is doing. It's funny you mentioned that having all these experts and consultants come from out of state. I was on an inspection last year following Irma, and the building roofing consultants were from Iowa. And it was in December, and it's not too hot in Florida in December, but they were only able to stay on the roof for two hours because they said it was too hot outside. So huh. it, it's just li- it's little things like that that absolutely do make yeah. a difference because when the insured is opening up their property for an all-day inspection and you have 
the insurance company's consultants not able to move forward with that inspection, mm -hmm. it, it just delays things and it's an inconvenience to the insured yeah. and the property owners. Yeah. But, you know, with respect to having that team of experts, it's it's absolutely important. And, and there's a few reasons why, which I'm happy to go in, into detail, why experts and consultants should be retained and in most cases should be retained early on in a claim. Is this something, yeah, is, uh, Gina, is this something that's paid for? Like, you know, again, cost is an issue. These people have just incurred a loss. They've got to right. spend money to fix their property. How are they going to be able to afford costs? Is the insurance company going to stroke them a check out of the gate to pay for someone to fight them? I don't think so. No, I haven't seen that. I would love that. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> But, you know, right. crazier things are possible. Typically, under a standard homeowner's or residential policy, there aren't many provisions that allow an insured to recover those costs under the policy. If you get into litigation and you ultimately go to trial or you potentially have an extra contractual claim, otherwise known as a bad faith claim, there are avenues to recover the cost of your experts and engineers and professionals. It's a little different in a lot of the commercial policies, especially the ones that are issued by the, the London syndicate. A lot of times there are provisions in the commercial policies that allow for professional fees. And the professional fees are typically tied to costs that are necessary to investigate the cause of the loss or to quantify the scope and the amount of the damage, which is it's a great thing to have in policies, especially when you're dealing with, you know, a, a claim that's well into the millions, these fees add up pretty quickly. Now, the caveat to that is a lot of those provisions will only kick in if you get expressed written authority from the insurance company to incur those fees. So it's important to understand what that provision says in conjunction with your post-loss obligations because sometimes if you have a duty to give the insurance company a itemized quantification of the loss and support for the cause of loss, you have to incur certain expert fees to be able to provide that information to the carrier that they're actually requesting. So, you know, there's really not a black and white issue on that, yeah. but you always mm -hmm. want to look at the policy to see if those types of fees are recoverable and make the best argument that you can and, you know, preserve your right to seek those costs in the long run. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I've spoken with, in fact, there's one, one situation, one story that comes to mind. It's a loss that we inspected down in, in Kendall where the insurance company sent out their engineer. Their engineer basically came out to this condominium complex and said, one of the units, actually a huge tree fell on this person's home. Uh -huh. And they eventually, I think six months after Irma made it out, they, they sent an engineer. The engineer basically said there's like $15,000 damages, nothing wrong with the home. Well, the homeowner decided to get a second opinion from an independent engineer. And basically the home was condemned. You know, they went and they oh, wrote wow. a letter to to Dade County basically saying that this home is unsafe for occupation. And I mean, that's that's a scary thought because I think a lot of folks out there are under the impression that when the insurance company sends out an expert in quotation marks, this expert has a fiduciary obligation to tell the truth no matter if it's black or white or, or gray. And I mean, 
that's a scary thought when, you know, these people come out and to a normal homeowner and these people are not getting the right advice and basically, you know, they're, they're, they're under a huge risk because their home could collapse. I mean, these engineers, don't they have any type of, and, and maybe you don't know this answer, but aren't they under some type of oath or don't they have a fiduciary obligation to, to do the right thing, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a difficult question just because it involves so many different aspects. But generally speaking, when the insurance company sends out the engineers, they're doing so to determine the cause of the loss. And if you look at most of the engineering and consulting reports from insurance companies, experts, it will specifically outline that that is the limited scope of their involvement. And they're not providing an opinion most of the time right. it's to the proper ne method of repair or code compliance issues. So really yeah. it, it's such a limited view of the loss that if the homeowner or property owners in the position that there is significant damage, especially if it's structural, they do need yeah. to get a second opinion, an independent, you know, engineer, someone who can draw up the plan, someone who can, you know, right. submit the permit, someone who can supervise the work, you know, especially when you're dealing with, like you mentioned, the the code issues in, in the tri-county area here, right. they're a lot mm -hmm. different than they are across the state of Florida even. And right. I have found, you know, especially recently, given the 2017 and 2018 storms with these higher end um, commercial apartment complexes and office buildings, a lot of times they were built in the 60s and the 70s and they complied with right. the code in the 60s and 70s but now yeah. once you reach a certain threshold of repairs the building departments are requiring them to upgrade all the life safety issues and some of mm -hmm. these are coming up to such a high level of repair that the ordinance and law and code issues are trumping the actual direct damages from the storm and that can get really expensive and really technical and, right. and so you know if you're faced with that situation you absolutely want to get a second opinion and it's a good thing that the homeowner you mentioned with the tree went out and did that yeah. unfortunately it, the property was condemned but it, right. it's not so then they actually had to move out right right you know, you know it's unfortunate tragic yeah Good. So let's um, let's move on. That's some some good information about experts and you know how they fit in. As far as policies today, so I mean my history goes back. I've I've been through several storm seasons. I remember 2004, 2005. Seemed to be a lot simpler. I mean I think correct me if I'm wrong. Policies were different. There were they were less stringent on what constituted direct storm damage. I think verbiage has gotten very specific, more just very much more difficult to actually prove. Uh, that's one of the things. Is that your experience between 0405 versus, you know, now? Is are there any other trap doors or any other loopholes that you know homeowners need to be aware of that that may come back to to hurt them later on? You know, absolutely. In my prior life as a defense attorney, I, you know, I grew up with the litigation following Francis, Jean, and, and Wilma back in, you know, 2004 to about 2010, and I handled, you know, hundreds if not thousands of, of lawsuits in, in that time on behalf of insurance companies, and the policies were absolutely different then. 
so you're seeing a little bit of a, a trend in some of the language that has been approved for a few different reasons. One of the biggest changes that has come about, you know, recently, and, and it's more prevalent in policy now, policies now, even though it has been lingering around for a while, is what's called this when created opening provision or peril created opening. And what happens under that provision is it typically says, we do not cover interior damage resulting from rain or wind-driven rain unless there is an opening in the building. Again, and the building could mean windows or roofs or building envelope. It just it depends mm -hmm. on the policy language. But they won't cover the interior damage unless there's first an opening that's created. I've seen policies that actually say the opening has to be permanent. So there's wow. all these little tricks that are in these provisions, and they're really important for one major reason. The major reason is switches the burden to the insured to prove certain things. Under a standard, you know, most standard exclusions, the insurance company has the burden to show that this loss was excluded. But when you have exceptions to exclusions, meaning we won't pay for this unless X, Y, and Z happens, that language shifts the burden to the insured to prove something. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you get a claim in and it's a, a hurricane claim and there's a provision that says we don't cover the interior unless there's a wind-created opening, mm -hmm. you better have some evidence of a wind-created opening. Mm -hmm. And that really starts with the consultants and the experts because if the condition of the property changes or the insured makes repairs and there's no photographs yeah. or videos, that can really prejudice the ability to recover. And, you know, unfortunately, insurance companies have and continue to win in court on this issue. And, hmm. you know, they're, they're winning dispositive motions, they're winning trials. And if that happens, there's, you know, the insured will have no ability to recover. So it's, these provisions are scattered in, you know, the residential and the commercial and, the, right. and all the policies. So it's very important to recognize those and identify them mm -hmm. very quickly because if you don't, yeah. it may be too late. But now, okay, so I'm a homeowner. I had water coming into my home. I can't see the sky through my roof, so there's no massive opening. But how did the water get in? I mean, as a... Doesn't, isn't it common sense? I mean, how can, does water travel through a building by osmosis? Isn't that enough that I had a leak inside to say, Mr. Insurance Company, how could the water get in? Obviously, there's an opening somewhere. I mean, I don't know where it is, but there's an opening, and I, I'm covered, right? Is this not the case? Is this not enough? It's magic. They, it just comes in through magic, you know? Right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, it doesn't make no, sense it, you know, unfortunately... That's not enough. And, and the, reason, the reason being when you have that more limiting language is, as I said, you have to show that there was some type of opening. It may not have to be permanent. It could be a temporary opening that occurred during a wind event or a wind storm. Whereas typically, if you do have water coming into your house and it's coming through because maybe your window is old and, you know, it's just mm. kind of subject to deterioration and water came in, that may be covered under certain provisions as an ensuing loss to the wear and tear. Mm -hmm. 
but if you have this more limiting provision, it's not going to be enough. And I agree. It, it is common sense. The water had to come from somewhere. I had a hurricane. Right. There was wind. Water came in. But what you're seeing is the insurance companies raising you know, the, the right. failure to maintain the wear and tear, the old age, as the reason the water came in, yeah. not the I wind allowing the water to come in. So that's the difference. Even more, yeah, even more, even more reason for a homeowner, let's say, or a building owner, you know, before, before something happens on an annual basis to have an independent company inspect the property, document the condition, so that they set a baseline, for example, doing a moisture scan on a roof, Mm-hmm. So that, you know, God forbid you have a hurricane, you have water get into the roof, the insurance company could say, well, you didn't maintain it. How do we know the water wasn't there a year ago? And, and if you've got that right. proof, then I would think that's something that would be very valuable to you as a property owner. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, <clears throat> normally you don't have that type of proof. A, a lot of the buildings you see will have their 40-year certifications and those yeah. are often very helpful because of the process that the buildings have to go through and to document its condition. But if you own a lot of property and you have a, yeah. a huge risk to hurricane damage, you know, as part of your risk management program, it, it's not that expensive to have a drone it's, photo taken of the roof or that. And, you know, most of the drones right. now can do the infrared right from the yeah. drone. So it's, it's saving right. the, the man hour time of actually someone climbing up on the roof with an infrared camera. It's, it's an easy, it's an easy thing yeah. to do. I often assimilate, you know, somebody maintaining their property or their roof to going to the dentist. We yeah. hate doing it. We don't want yeah. to go until there's pain, right? So, uh-huh. um, and the pain is severe. So do you want a little <laughs> bit of pain, clean your teeth now, or do you want a whole lot of heartache and pain later on where, you know, this affects your business and your life, especially mm-hmm. with the way policies are written now. I mean, I think, you know, if if property owners that own multiple buildings have a relationship with someone like with someone like you or GCI that's already in their corner and checking out the building every two years, I mean, it seems like after a storm, you just be able to flip a switch. Uh, yeah. And any piece of paper they ask you for, you 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 can provide very quickly and very accurately. And you know what a lot of people don't understand is that an insurance policy that they simply buy and throw in their bottom drawer is a contract. It's a, it's an insurance contract, and you have obligations. And I think there's a misunderstanding or a discounting of what that actually means. A contract that they will enforce is, you know, is something that one needs to be aware of and be able to comply with very quickly. So with that said, I wanted to ask you something else that I've run across, and that's the matching statute in policies, which for our listeners, matching statute means if my roof is damaged or my floor is damaged, and that product is no longer available, in certain policies, the insurance company is liable to pay for the replacement of the entire home or what have you because it cannot be matched and it'll look like a checkerboard. Is that something that, you know, folks still can expect to happen or are insurance companies both on commercial and residential claims going to be fighting these as well? I mean, what are you seeing out there? 
As far as the residential, there is a statute that is commonly referred to as the matching statute. And as far as the residential, it, typically, you know, they may fight it because there's other things that come into play as well because they're going to be arguing what percentage of the roof and whether the tiles can be painted, whether they can be found in the boneyard, whether they're operating mm -hmm. under um, an approved NOA, whether code comes involved. So it, it's not ever going to be very clean cut. And then yeah. you have issues, maybe not even the roof, but interior flooring, whether there's a threshold, whether it's aesthetic. Right. I mean, there's certain policies now where for a while there, there was a lot of litigation over matching of the interior tile floor. And mm -hmm. a lot of policies have inserted limitations now saying that if the damage to the floor is purely aesthetic, we're only going to pay $10,000. So wow. if it's an aesthetic issue versus an actual functionality of the flooring system, there's going to be a mm -hmm. huge debate over that, which again is where the experts and consultants come into play because if the usefulness and the purpose of the floor is somehow impacted by the loss, that's not just mm -hmm. aesthetic. So those are provisions no. that you need to look for in the policy. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the most part, I've seen those aesthetic provisions linked to flooring, but I, I can't right. tell you whether there's not ones out there that are also linked to roofing systems. Yeah. So it, it definitely is I know something there to pay are. attention to. Yeah. yeah. I know there are. I had a situation in Texas um, with, you know, because in Texas, we know hail is pretty prevalent out there. Yeah, yeah. And um, in the San Antonio, Dallas area, there's a tremendous amount of hail. And um, insurance companies got beat up pretty bad. And what happened was with all these metal roofing systems, um, and what a lot of these property owners were unaware of is that there was a, there was a cosmetic exclusion in there, which basically said, if baseballs hit your roof, baseball-sized hail hit your roof, and it's dented everywhere, but the damage is only cosmetic, then we're not going to pay for the replacement. So, mm -hmm. I mean, your roof probably looked like, looked terrible now. And if somebody was going to come and buy your building or buy your home, they were going to ask for a huge discount because your home uh -huh. looks terrible. And yet Absolutely. insurance companies are, are standing on the fact that a lot of these folks that were unaware of these cosmetic riders or exclusions in the policy were now basically left out in left field. And that's, that's very scary. It is. So, I mean, and metal roofs are very expensive. So I certainly think, having evaluated hundreds of roofs, that a, a metal roof that's dented, that now is going to hold residue after a storm because now all the water is not going to be able to drain off of that. Mm -hmm. Yes, it may not be directly damaged right now, but five years from now, you know, the, the corrosion, the, the um, surfacing of that roof may have been impacted and it may start rusting and now I have to pay out of pocket to have it replaced. So it's a, I know that's a tough one for Texans to, to swallow, but uh, it's all about, you know, knowledge is power and it's being aware of what's in your policy. No, absolutely. You know, I was looking at a client's policy the other day for a, a specific issue, but as I was looking at it, it was a, re a new renewal policy. I see in like, you know, this little corner of the policy that they exclude wind-driven rain. And, you know, it boggles my mind. You know, you think you're buying a, a policy for hurricane coverage and, you know, interior water damage, 
and, and it may cover it, but to have those little exclusions mm -hmm. hidden throughout the policy, you know, one of the things I always say is what you don't know can hurt you because mm -hmm. it is unbelievable the things that are in the policy. And I bet everyone listening, most people don't have any idea what their policy says. No, and also what it. happens is you get, like, if you, for example, if you with Farmers or Allstate or State Farm or what have you, the year that you buy the policy, you get a full copy of the policy. Each, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you're maybe the expert on this, each year I renew it. All I get are some, some basic pages, and I don't even yeah. know what's been taken out or put in that policy. <laughs> How... I mean, what kind of a deal is that? I don't even know what's in my policy, yet I think it's the same as the one I have in my drawer, and it might be completely different. Is that the case? Well, typically, you're going to have the standard form, and then once a year, you'll get whatever applicable endorsements or changes to the policies. Right. On my last renewal, I got an endorsement to make sure the carrier knew that marsupial damage was no longer covered under my policy which, you know, just made me laugh because of the detail that they go into on these exclusions. But you can always ask for, ask your agent or you can ask the insurance company for, you know, you prefer to get a certified copy. That way you know that it's a full and complete version. A citizen yes. is very good about giving certified copies. Other carriers, you know, kind of argue whether it has to be certified or not. But, you know, it's always a good idea before hurricane season hits to make sure you mm -hmm. have a full copy of your policy and do it soon because if there's any issues yeah. that you you then yeah. have time to address them with your agent so yeah you so you got a, a note saying marsupials were no longer covered so so you know that if a kangaroo jumps onto your roof you don't have coverage right, right? there's no coverage wow. for kangaroos yeah yeah shoot i mean that's an important one to have i guess in australia but maybe not yeah. here <laughs> I'm like I'm really well, I'm really glad they clarified that for me. So any other points you want to make? I mean I think we've we've covered a lot. I think um, you know we've we've made some real valid points for the listeners out there how important it is to have you know a plan ahead of time so that you limit the stress and the anxiety later on. Is there? I know one other thing that has changed, and I, and I think maybe you can expand on this a little bit before we, we wrap it up, but appraisal, is there, so I'm having a struggle with my insurance company, what are my options? Like what's option A, B, and C, and, and how has that changed over the past few years in your, in your experience? Yeah, and, and for those who are listening who don't know what, what appraisal is, appraisal is an alternative dispute resolution process that is kind of specific to property insurance policies. And in the event that the insurance company and the insured don't agree on the amount or the scope of the loss, each party selects an appraiser. They try to agree on the amount of the loss. If they can't, they appoint a third person called the umpire and the decision of any two is binding I mean there's a lot more to that you know depending on the facts of the case and what jurisdiction you're in and everything but essentially that's how it works kind of an alternative dispute resolution process appraisal used to be pretty big and for a while a lot of carriers were getting hit what they believe to be pretty hard in the appraisal process so they backed away from it a little bit now it's back. It's coming back mm -hmm. now. You know, I just saw an article, I don't know if it was the Sun Sentinel or the Palm Beach Post, talking about how Citizens is 
offering to cover certain costs of the appraiser appraisal to get claims resolved, um, where typically wow. the insured has the obligation to pay their appraiser and half of the umpire. So it, it, it could be an option depending on mm-hmm. the case. It's typically a lot faster than litigation. It's a little bit less of a headache right. because you don't have to be involved with depositions and discovery in court. But the yes. decision of two people is binding unless there's some type of extraordinary circumstances, which normally are fraud or, you know, some type of misrepresentation. Right. It's, it's hard to overturn mm-hmm. an appraisal award. You know, a lot, what I'm seeing a lot of in the larger layered policy, which are typically, you know, people who have a Lloyd's policy, um, developers who have master policies and many properties under it, there's a lot of arbitration provisions. A lot of times those arbitration provisions could potentially preclude your ability to file a lawsuit. It just obviously Uh depends on the policy language, how it's written, but if you don't right. know that and you think you have the ability to file suit and maybe there's an argument that yeah. you don't, that's quite mm-hmm. a huge surprise to any property owner. Well, that tells me that they need someone like you to make sure they know what their options are and what the consequences of each are before they make that decision. I mean, making a, an educated decision versus a knee-jerk decision is, right. sounds like a pretty – pretty vital thing to be able to do and, and having you in that corner would would make a difference. Real quick, so after appraisal, um, I, I got a good settlement. I mean, and, you know, we spoke a little bit about ordinance and law. Do I just expect a check for all these different coverages immediately? Can the carrier hold back any depreciation for any part of this? Or do I get, for example, if the payment is split between, you know, coverage A and then ordinance and law, can they hold anything back? Am I going to be required to have completed the work as it would be, you know, in a normal claim recovery, or how does that process work? Well, the appraisal award, payment of the appraisal award, the timing is going to be governed by the policy. Um, The policy has a loss Mm -hmm. payment provision, which says we'll issue payment within so many days after the filing of an appraisal award with us. It's normally somewhere between 30 and 90 days, depending on the policy. As far as the ordinance and law coverage, most policies do require that that be incurred or that the repairs are being made. So, Mm -hmm. you know, often, and I I can't say that this is all the time or all carriers do it, but sometimes an insurance company will just pay the whole appraisal award to be done with the claim or to try to get a release. Um, to give Mm -hmm. some consideration for the insured to release the entire claim. Uh, Other times they want the documentation of incurred expenses or they want to see that the repairs have been made. It it really is going to depend on the policy. It's going to depend on the carrier. What is interesting that the law did clarify in the recent years is that an appraisal award is sufficient evidence of the amount of loss to allow an insured to file a bad faith lawsuit, which, you know, the bad faith lawsuit is for extra contractual damages that may not be covered under the policy. So it used to be that the theories were you had to go to trial and get essentially a a judgment or you had to get a judgment through Mm -hmm. the court system. But the case law has clarified that significantly to say that an appraisal award is enough. So carriers are often hesitant 
to go to appraisal because of the threat of bad faith. Hmm. So in the event that there are damages such as, you know, law and ordinance damages that could potentially be outstanding, sometimes carriers yeah. may be motivated to resolve it so they can, mm. they can wrap up everything and know that there's not a bad faith lawsuit coming. So, so, the, so the property owner can file suit even after appraisal for bad faith if they feel they've been treated unfairly. Yes, as long as they, I mean, a prerequisite to any extra contractual lawsuit is the filing of a civil remedy notice, which a civil remedy notice is a statutorily created document. It essentially yeah. puts the carrier on notice of what they did to act in bad mm -hmm. faith. And there's, there's categories the statute sets out. And then the insurance right. company has a certain amount of time to cure those allegations. If you don't file the CRN, you absolutely do not have a right to the bad faith lawsuit. It's a statutory prerequisite that you want to make sure is done. Okay. But generally yeah. speaking, yes, the appraisal award is going to be a sufficient award, a sufficient document to allow you yeah. to proceed further if necessary. Proceed. Great. Is there anything else you want to bring up before we wrap up? Or I think, I mean, we've discussed quite a bit. That's been some some great information for the listeners. Anything else you feel we need to know and that, you know, would help us down the road? And, you know, a lot of people, I know tons and tons of homeowners and property owners that are still waiting for their first dollar after, yeah, after Irma. Yeah, absolutely. It, they, can they still call you? I mean, are they done? Can they hire you now? Or, or, or what is, how does that process work? And, and, uh, and how do they get in touch with you? Um, no, absolutely. The, the time's not out to file file the, the hurricane claims at, at this point. Um, you do have certain notice provisions under your policy. So if you have not filed a claim for whatever reason, it's really important to figure out what your damages are and get that filed as soon as possible. Generally speaking, um, you know, you, you have to give notice promptly, but the statute of limitations has not run out on, on the hurricane claims. And, and there's a lot. I, I have a lot of claims, especially the larger commercial ones, that are still being, you know, adjusted by the insurance company. And I think a lot of that has to do with the, the volume of claims and the amount of hurricanes mm -hmm. we've had over the last couple of years. It, it's been a yeah. stress on the industry for sure. Um, but depending on your policy, you likely can file a lawsuit or demand appraisal or arbitration or mediation. There's a lot of different ways to resolve right. a claim. It just, you know, it may not always be a rush to litigation or to file suit. It, it really depends on the insured and what they need to get their life or their business back in order. For some people, it's let me just get paid and move on. Some people want to go all the right. way and have their day at trial. Right. But there are a lot of options to get, get things resolved. But if you think that, you know, what you're getting from the insurance company is insufficient, I absolutely recommend talking to a professional to see if there's anything that can be done. Yeah, and then they should just give you a call. How do they, should they email you? What what number or how do they reach Berger Singerman and how do they get to you? Well, my direct line is 561-893-8711. That's 561-893-8711. Um, you know, we have offices in Boca, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and Tallahassee. Fantastic. Yeah, and I know, um, I think you may, you may be presenting again at the Windstorm Conference coming up in Orlando in at the end of January, which I'm looking forward to. I know there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of good information and, and experts on hand there, you know, in our industry. So, 
with that said, you know, thanks so much for for being with us today and, and sharing your experience and vital information with our listeners. For you folks out there, you know, thanks so much for, for joining Gina and myself today. Please visit us on the web at uh, www.gciconsultants.com and be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And uh, be sure to check out some of our cool videos and where you'll, you'll actually see us in action doing some forensic testing on windows, doors, and roofing. And um, we'll definitely bring you, you know, valuable information in the future. Just stay tuned. And thanks so much for joining us today. And thank you, Gina, for being a part of the uh, Everything Building Envelope podcast today. You're welcome. Thanks again for having me. Thanks for joining us today. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more information on the Everything Building Envelope, previous episodes, show notes, bonus video content, and much more, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com.